So uh, we've been looking at uh, the New Testament epistle of, of Philippians, and uh, we're up to uh, chapter 3, verses 10 uh, through 11. And uh, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to read that to you in just a minute. Uh, but before I do that, uh, let me pray, and then we'll dive into the scriptures. Let's pray. Lord, as we read this text today about suffering, we uh, pray for um, clarity and understanding, pray for gospel hope and gospel healing, and uh, as we think through the, kind of the, the mysterious thing uh, that our fellowship in you uh, is so intertwined uh, in our suffering. So would you bless us today? Would you help us and uh, uh, remind us today that you are not absent uh, from us when we suffer, but in fact, uh, in some ways, are closer than ever to us and with us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Philippians 3, 10 to 11, uh, this is God's word. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So uh, one of the things that we have to see about this and one of the things that happens to us when we suffer is that we tend to think uh, that God must be absent from us when we suffer. That somehow or other uh, we suffer and we do it alone or at best he stands apart from us and says, hey, you know, Jesus is your example. He wasn't a whiner, so suck it up and get with the program uh, as you suffer. But Paul who is suffering in prison, uh, facing possible martyrdom, doesn't look at it that way. He sees it as something rich and relational, something that uh, involves uh, clearly his connection uh, with uh, with Jesus Christ. And so as we think about this today, uh, go ahead, Claire, I put my, put my notes up there. As we think about this today, you have to see that what's driving Paul's words here about uh, suffering is relationship. Um, and just a, a couple of verses before this, uh, Paul refers to Christ Jesus as my Lord, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's the only place in any of his writings where he says, calls Jesus my Lord, right? So even as he's thinking about suffering, even as he's thinking about the deep things that he's going to go through, he has this, this sense that Jesus is his, right? And the verse right before this, he says that he wants to be found in Christ, that his connection and his union with Christ are what is driving uh, his understanding of this. And then here he begins to say that I may know him. Now, this knowledge that's talked about here, we tend to talk about when we tend to think about knowing someone, we tend to think about knowing we, we know things about them, right? But in the Bible, wherever the word for knowledge is used, it almost always means love. Um, we tend to think about it as, I, you know, I know someone, I know things about them. Uh, Claire, would you go back to the, uh, the song that the team was just singing, uh, the, the, the page, the lead on page with the chorus? Because I, I want to show something to you there. And the one with the stuff on the bottom. You know, like all the little, yeah. So, Perry, did you, did you notice the copyright on this? Yeah, Cubs in the Series Music. Is that your company? See, I, I know this about Chris Perry, is that he's a Chicago Cubs fan. 
He's not just a Chicago Cubs fan. I can't believe you missed that, man. Don't, aren't you, when you see the word Cubs, doesn't it just leap off the page at you? Oh, you were worshiping. Maybe I didn't know him as well as I thought I did. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's my attempt at an illustration. But anyway, uh, I just thought, I know that about him, right? But that's not, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. What we're talking about, you can, you can move on, Claire. That was just a dumb thing. Um, the, 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 but when, when he talks about knowing him and knowing him in his suffering, knowing him in that way, he's talking about a deep, personal, intimate connection that Jesus is his, that he, that Jesus belongs to him and that somehow or other, because Jesus was a sufferer, that when we suffer as his people, and particularly when we suffer as his people because of our obedience, because of our belief, because of our trust in him, there is a, there's a connection and a fellowship there that is profound, that is, that is rich and deep and intimate, right? So that's what Paul's getting at here. Even as he is in prison, even as he is facing the possibility of martyrdom, the thing that is rich to him in this is he understands in deeper ways that Jesus is with him, that Jesus is for him, and that he has a fellowship with Jesus because they both are suffering. You see, the way we tend to think about this is is that God puts us through these things. Uh, we sang that great hymn, you know, uh, that uh, that when we go through the fiery trials, that God's intention is to consume our dross, which is the the waste products, and refine our gold. Well, that is a way in which God uses suffering, but that's not what He's talking about. What He's talking about is that as He suffers, it deepens His understanding, His love. His joy in belonging to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ belonging to him. And so that, that's exactly what he's getting at here. And so, so contrary to the way we tend to think about suffering, that somehow or other God is absent or that God stands apart kind of shouting at us to get it right or, or whatever, what Paul understands here is, is that actually there is a deepening of his connection with Jesus as he walks through suffering. Next slide. So this, uh, one of the things that we have to see about this, one of the things that we forget about Jesus, and one of the things that we forget about what it means to follow him in this world is that if we are followers of Christ, that if he is shaping us into his image, then we're going to have experiences like Jesus had. You know, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was a man of sorrows. That doesn't mean that he was a sad sack all the time, but that he bore and that he he worked and that he lived uh, in a world where there was loss and sin and difficulty. And uh, that he understood that perhaps better than any anybody who's ever lived, because he would die for that loss and for that sin. Right now, for Jesus, death came before resurrection power. But that power is in us now to help us as we live, obey, believe, and suffer. In other words, what, notice the, the logic here, right? So that he may know first the power of his resurrection and then share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. Uh, Jesus walked through life uh, and then walked through death to resurrection. But because we are in Christ and because Jesus is raised from the dead, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and well in us. 
It is what enables us to to follow. It is what enables us to obey. It is what enables us to believe. It is what enables us to struggle and to suffer. And as we do that, to experience the depth of union with Christ when we do that. Suffering is something that we tend to want to avoid. But the way the New Testament looks at this is, yes, you know, you don't go out and you don't seek it. But when we find ourselves in suffering, we find ourselves losing, we find ourselves in grief and difficulty. Those are unique times for us to experience the richness of what it means to be in Christ. Suffering will always shape you. It will always, it, real suffering will not leave you unchanged. It's going to change you. And those of us who are in Christ who experience the, the richness of, of that understand what it is to belong to him and him to belong to us, understand that what that, that, that suffering will do will shape us more into his image. But if we have a different kind of perspective on suffering, it may actually harden us. It may actually embitter us. It, it may actually make us uh, people who are, have less of a sense of the goodness of God. But what Paul wants us to see is that his life in Christ is enriched even as he struggles and even as uh, he suffers, right? So this power is at work in us. Now, how does that work? How, does, how, does, how do you know, how do you experience the power of, of Christ's resurrection in you when you suffer? How do you know that? What does it look like? Well, you know, it doesn't look like, the, you know, walking through life without uh, any pain or difficulty, it doesn't look like walking through life without any challenges. In fact, it looks like a very challenging and very difficult life. Uh, one of the ways that we experience that and one of the ways that you can see the power of the resurrection in those who suffer are in our brothers and sisters who are same-sex attracted but who are committed to the truth of the gospel and who live a celibate life. There's suffering there. There's loneliness there. But there's a depth of connection and appreciation of the work of Christ there as well. What about uh, uh, people who are alone, who desire to be married and yet uh, are Committed to mirroring only in the faith. Right? So there are times and there are places where we experience suffering not because God's trying to teach us something or not because God is trying to, 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 to do something, but it is a way in which His glory is shown and the way in which His power becomes manifest in human weakness and human suffering. It's a beautiful thing. It's a hard thing. It's a challenging thing. But that's exactly the way the gospel works. The beauty of the gospel is, is kind of an upside down beauty, right? That, that we tend not to, to, to think about. Tish Harrison Warren writes, writes this, that in Christ, God did not buy us a ticket to a life of ease and nonstop happiness. Isn't that awesome? Do you think that's loud? We were in here yesterday. Uh, I thought we might lose power, so I taped. This is the third time I've done this sermon. So we we taped it yesterday, and then I did it at 9 o'clock and did it at 10.30. Well, 
the stuff rolled off here while we were just beginning taping, and it sounded like an earthquake. So before you panic or think the roof's about to fall in, the roof might be about to fall in, but I don't, I don't think so. It's just the ice sliding off the, the angles up there. So uh, keeps you awake, doesn't it? Keeps happening. But that's a good thing. That means it's melting, right? By the way, while we're thinking about the weather, who doesn't have power? The Farkas's don't have power. Oh, Freezes don't have power. Okay. Roger, did you get power back yet? You did. Good. Phillips don't have power. Okay. Well, Jesus must love you more because you're suffering, right? Dealing without the power. Anyway. Anyway, God, in Christ, God did not buy us a ticket to a life of ease and nonstop happiness, which is kind of a bummer, isn't it? Instead, we're united to him so that we grow up into his story through our own stories, right? The biography of Jesus continues through us, through the church, even through and perhaps especially through our adversity. Jesus gets so much glory, not... Not from the fact that we tend to be inoculated against or live independent of, of the difficulties of a fallen world, but actually he gets glory as our weakness is made perfect by his strength as we walk through difficulties and challenges, as we suffer loss. And listen, if you live long enough, you're going to lose. In fact, if you live long enough, all of us at some point are going to lose everything, right, that we have in this world. You know, our, our, our culture tells us that what's the most important thing for you to have is your physical health, right? Without your, you know, without health, you know, you're, you're, you're in trouble. Well, the fact is you're going to lose it someday. You're all only temporarily able-bodied. Uh, and sooner or later, our bodies will fail us, right? And sooner or later, the people that we love, their bodies will fail them as well. So life, Jesus understood that. And so the point of the gospel is not to get us through unscathed. You know, the the point of the gospel is to strengthen us and to encourage us and to enable us to understand that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil. We can actually have a bit of joy because we know that the Lord is with us and that the gospel is true and that the resurrection power of Jesus is not something that we have to wait to get, but that it's actually something that we experience right now that is at work in us. And you see, this is this is what's so challenging for us. Next slide, Clara, is the way we tend to think about it. What the, uh, Martin Luther said that Christians, there, there are kind of two kinds of Christians in the world, and they kind of have two kinds of theologies. And I think I think this is right. One, one, there's a theology of the cross, and the other is a theology of glory. Now, theology of glory sounds like the way to go, but in the theology of glory, God shows his trustworthiness by giving us pleasure, prosperity, and freedom from suffering. Right. And sometimes we have great seasons and great periods where that is true, where we don't experience any particular pain or any kind of particular suffering. But a theology of the cross discovers God in suffering. See, don't believe the lies that wellness, wealth and success are are the only evidences of God's favor and suffering means God is absent or that he's punishing you. You see, that's the thing that's so hard for us because 
for most of us, most of us who have grown up here in North America, most of us who have lived our lives here, we, uh, we're shocked when suffering comes our way, when death and loss and illness and, and those kinds of things come, come to us because we, we don't, ex- we're, we're so separated from that. I read an article recently that said, would you, would you rather be the richest man in the world alive in 1500 or kind of where you are now alive today? Well, you know, the richest guy in the world in 1500, if he needed surgery, they didn't have anesthesia. So I'm really grateful for anesthesia. No air conditioning. Right? Uh, clean water, hard to come by. No penicillin. Um, no nasal sprays. <laughs> right? None of the things that make us comfortable, right? No baseball. Uh, right? No cell phones, which, you know, actually maybe they were onto something, but, uh, yeah, so as we, as you think about that, right, so just think of all the things that are, are, are ours now, but so, so we have spent so much of our time and energy, our economy, our culture, our society is, is spent on these things that are good that, that kind of separate us and put distance between us and really the way the difficulties and the hard things in life. And so when it comes at us, it shocks us and it is disturbing to us and, and we're not we, our, our tendency is to think, wait, this is not the way things are supposed to be. Jesus must not be here. When in fact, that may be when he is closest to you. I remember uh, early on as a pastor, not, not really knowing what I was doing, um, and being called to an emergency room where uh, a, a woman's husband, dear friend, had gone out for a run after work and he died. And uh, we were there. I was sitting with her in the emergency room at Johnston Willis Hospital, and uh, I was just overwhelmed. I didn't. It just didn't seem real. And so I, I insisted that they take us back to the room that he was in there in the. Um, in the emergency room so we could see him. And they're like, well, you don't want to see him. You know, he fell and his face is all uh, messed up. And, you know, we opened his chest up to get at his heart. And, you know, it's kind of a mess. I'm like, I don't care. I, you know, I'm not going to accept that he's dead until I go back there and see him. Um. And so they covered him up a little bit, and we went back there, and I was just stunned. I didn't know what to say. I'm like, you know, am I supposed to be the pastor here? Am I supposed to be the friend here? What am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. And I just was staring at his body and and looking into his eyes, and you could see, well, he's not there. And she took him by the hand and said, oh, you're with the Lord. And suddenly things became clear as we cried together, as we wept, as we struggled in our grief in that moment. But Jesus was with her. That was resurrection power at work in her, giving her comfort and grace in the moment of a shocking loss. So when those things intersect in our lives, we 
we're undone often by them, but those are the places perhaps where we experience this fellowship with Christ and this resurrection power in ways that maybe we don't ever experience it, right? Next slide. So we don't have a God who guarantees that he will keep bad things from happening to us. And the reason why we know that's true is because bad things happened to Jesus when he was here. And so, you know, one of the one of the questions for us and one of the questions that's worth asking, can you trust a God who will allow bad things to happen to you? Can Paul trust a God who allows him to sit in prison and face martyrdom, right? And it's kind of mysterious, isn't it? Like we don't really understand what God's answer is to that. And God really doesn't give us much of an answer except he gives us Jesus, doesn't he? So because Jesus has gone through suffering and death and is alive now, he isn't just an example. He's just not saying, hey, I went through harder stuff. Stop your whining. It's not like that at all. It's that uh, he, because he has gone through to the other side and is our Savior, is our provider, he can be present with us as we walk through uh, these difficulties. Now, you may be reading this and thinking that at the end here, though, maybe Paul's missing out in some way in this fellowship because he says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It seems like, wait, he lacks assurance that he he lacks the certainty that that this Jesus is with him and that he is for him, because it seems like he's got to figure out some way to do something uh, to attain the resurrection uh, from the dead, that there must be something added to this, that he must that he must need something else. I remember a few years ago watching the funeral, uh, parts of the funeral for Pope John Paul II, and they were carrying his body from one part of the Vatican to another part of the Vatican. And at each step, they would say a saint's name, and they would say, you know, pray for our brother John Paul. And I thought, beyond the fact about praying for saints, or praying to saints, that's something, that's that's a whole other thing to think about. But, you know, here's, here's, here's the Pope, and we're not even sure he's in heaven. We gotta, we gotta ask for these other people to be praying for him to get him there? Yeah. Thankfully, you know, if he's in Christ, he didn't need that. We have the certainty, Paul's certain that he, that he has the resurrection. What he's getting at here is, is, is something a little different. Uh, Claire, would you put this up here? I found this from Don Carson, New Testament scholar. He writes this about this. The word somehow in the original probably suggests that Paul is uncertain as to the timing and circumstances of this experience. Might it come in this lifetime so that he receives a transformed resurrection body without passing through death? From the letter, from his letter to the Thessalonians, we learn that this is what Paul teaches will befall those who, believers who are alive when Jesus returns. I always read that passage from 1 Thessalonians 4 about uh, the dead in Christ rising first and um, uh, those of us who are left will meet with them uh, in the air. We'll be together with the Lord forever. I always read that text at the uh, burial of of, uh, of folks because it's such a rich promise to see that one way or the other we get this transformation, we get this this resurrection, right? 
So either Paul's going to do it before before he dies or he'll die and then rise from the dead. Either way, somehow he will attain the resurrection of the dead. And in Paul's mind, attaining that glorious end, the final resurrection, the new heaven and earth, the home of righteousness is bound up with persevering in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So for that knowledge of Christ, he yearns. And that's what we get, that knowledge of the understanding of the power of God at work in us when we struggle and we suffer, builds our fellowship, builds our knowledge, builds our love, because there are there's just something mysteriously wonderful about the closeness of our Savior to those who suffer, because he suffered. And we can go to him and know that he understands he is not only sympathetic, but he is present with us and empowering us uh, to walk through that. This is hard, deep, uh, thick things for us uh, to think about. But it is such good news to sufferers today to know that Jesus is with you. And that the power of his resurrection is being manifest in your weakness and in your suffering. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you today, we we thank you for this promise. And the Lord, none, none of us would go out of our way to seek suffering. You use it in uh, ways to change us, to reflect your glory, to deepen within us the the joy and the understanding and the fellowship that we have with you. Lord, I pray for those today who are, who are grieving, who are sick, who are uh, lonely, who are broken, uh, that in all of these uh, places you would come near, that by your spirit you would enable your people to experience the power of the resurrection they would know you and their sufferings and know you and your sufferings for them. And so would you bless us today? Would you heal the sick? Would you restore the broken? Would you raise the dead? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's use this confession of sin that's uh, printed Uh, in uh, the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me this morning. Pray with me. O Lord, I bless you that the issue of the battle between yourself and Satan has never been uncertain and will end in victory. Calvary broke the dragon's head, and I contend with a vanquished foe who with all his subtlety and strength has already been overcome. When I feel the serpent at my heel, may I remember him whose heel was bruised, but who, when bruised, broke the devil's head. My soul with inward joy extols the mighty conqueror. Heal me of any wounds received in the great conflict. If I have gathered filth, if my faith has suffered damage, if my hope is less than bright, If my love is not fervent, if some creature comfort occupies my heart, if my soul sinks under pressure of the fight, O Lord, whose every promise is balm, every touch life, draw near to your weary warrior. 
Refresh me that I may rise again to wage the strife and never tire until my enemy is trodden down. Give me such fellowship with you that I may defy Satan, unbelief, the flesh, the world, with the light that comes not from a creature and which a creature cannot mar. Give me a drought of the eternal fountain that lies in your immutable, everlasting love and decree. Then shall my hand never weaken, my feet never stumble, my sword never rest, my shield never rust, my helmet never shatter, my breastplate never fall, as my strength rests in the power of your might. Christians, hear these words of encouragement. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 